Um, look at the text today and the Bible un- opens to us. God, would you open us up to the Bible so that we can hear from you? We don't need to hear from a man. Just, just set yourself here and set the kingdom down here on us and among us and do the work that would honor Jesus the most. And that's what we ask now, and it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Glad that you're here. Uh, We are in the middle of a series um, that we have kind of brought under the larger umbrella of Go Live. We've got these cool little bracelets uh, that are actually going to help one of our students get to uh, England. Uh, These cool little bracelets stamped with Go Live. Uh, I'll give you a heads up. I meant to bring one in, but I didn't. I forgot. we have t-shirts that have the Go Live logo on it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, for the low, low price of $1 million each, it'll be great that you can, you can just write a check, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll have all that information next week. They're really cool, and so uh, we're grateful for that. It's not because we're making money. We're actually spending money on the deal. We just want to push this to folks to say, hey, listen, there's something here that God is doing and calling us to. And there's a world out there that desperately needs a people who are committed not to simply having a religious moment or being a part of a religious organization, but who are actually moving forward in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is extending outward um, to people who desperately need it. So Uh, Under the banner of this series, Go Live, we've kind of put together this statement of purpose, if you will. Our church family exists for this reason, that we would make apprentices to Jesus Christ who live. Don't miss this because Christianity is about death and life. It's not about good and bad. It's about death and life who live to do these three things, pursue God and love well and serve the world around us. So with that kind of in mind, um, we've been talking about our DNA and the first part of that, the first strength if you will, was gospel transformation, that you and I would be transformed by the good news that Jesus has beaten sin and death. He has died on a cross, has come back from the dead, and he lives today and is inside. If you put your trust in Jesus, uh, he has forgiven you and taken up residence inside of you such that you have uh, uh, the spirit of God inside, and he is changing you from the inside out and wants to change the world through you. This is gospel transformation. Secondly, last week we looked at uh, um, the second part of that, this, this strand uh, of being saturated with the scriptures, that no matter where we are and what's going on in our life, that we would soak ourselves, we would saturate ourselves with the scriptures, that we would be stained by it, that it, we would carry the aroma of the Bible everywhere we go. And when life squeezes us, did anybody get squeezed this week? That's what you call nervous laughter. That's like the golf clap version of crowd response. Like, oh, Yes, that was me. Uh, Whenever you get squeezed this week, what's going to happen? The Bible comes out. That's what we want. We want to be people who are so steeped in the scripture that when we get squeezed, the Bible is what comes out. And today, we're picking up the third strand of that DNA, that we would be people uh, uh, who are marked by this, this particular phrase, that neighbor is a verb. Now, I want to give you this uh, as, as we get started here. Uh, I think I was about nine or 10 years old. I can remember exactly where I was driving. We're cruising along in my mom's car on Normal Park in Huntsville, Texas, my hometown. And I asked some question, which apparently had an obvious answer because she replied to me, well, is the Pope a Catholic? I was nine. I was like, I don't know, mom. Is he? Is he Presbyterian? I don't think he's Baptist, is he? I don't think they think. I had no idea. And she's like, oh, well, I have to explain this to you now. Okay, yes, yes, lady, settle down. Drive, will you? That kind of thing. This is 
me thinking about it now. That's what I would have said. Uh, so uh, anyway, I, th- there was just a, this question that was so obvious, right? The, the question, if you will, uh, we, we think, um, some of the questions that we think are so obvious, but they land very differently on those that are being asked. Who's Pope a Catholic? I don't know. I'm nine. I've only known Baptists. I, I don't know. Uh, and this is where we start today, because in Luke chapter 10, we got a guy who rolls up on Jesus, who, who starts to um, ask some questions, and we're going to see how this goes for this fellow, and it doesn't land like he anticipates. So in Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there. If not, you can grab one off the side of the tech booth, or you can, if you've got the Bible app, you can open it to our live event, track along. In verse 25 is where we're going to start. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, there's going to be several mistakes that this fellow makes. Let's just put it on record here, starting with, I think I'll just test Jesus and see what happens, is number one, okay? Uh, He says, put him to a test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So anytime Jesus comes back with a question, you also were in trouble. You started with a bad attitude, you put him to the test, and now he's asking questions of you. Verse 27, this guy answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. This is incredibly important. Jesus is talking about figuring out how to do these kinds of things because this is where life really is. Verse 29, he missed it altogether. But he, don't miss this, desiring to justify himself. He rolled up on Jesus with a bad attitude, asking questions, got questions asked to him, um, uh, figured out how to keep the rules. Hey, if I do these things, I'll check the boxes. And then he wanted to justify himself. In asking that question, it went something like this. Hey, Jesus, give me the five names of the people around me that I need to love. You know, it says love your neighbor. Give me the five names of the people and I'll go love those people. This is religion at its absolute worst. Give me the things that I'm supposed to do. I'll check the boxes and then go about my own way. It's an exercise in missing the point altogether. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He was asking a very obvious question, but it landed very differently than he thought. Because the short answer for Jesus is not those who are around you or here, here are these five names or something like that. The short answer for Jesus goes like this. Who's my neighbor? Anybody that you choose to make a neighbor. That's the answer. So when it comes for us as a church family in this particular strand, so to speak, of our, of our DNA, in terms of pursuing God and loving well and serving the world, the answer to the question for us is the same answer that Jesus, neighbor, is a verb. Neighbor is a, our, my neighbor, your neighbor, our neighbors are whomever we choose to make our neighbor. Neighbor is a verb. Now, you may be thinking about your neighbor right now and think to yourself, well, they've got the yippee dog and whatever's going on. They don't... We'll talk all about that in just a second. Hold in there with me. But for us, let's commit to this, that neighbor is a verb. This is part of what makes us who we are. And if we're going to go live in a way that neighbor is a verb for us, some things are going to be true in the first one. Three requirements today. The first one starts in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
So here's the requirement, okay? First requirement, if we're going to go live such that neighbor is a verb for you and for me, we have to do this. We have to stop and see. We have to stop and see. Now, we're going to look at a couple of things here. They'll see, but they won't stop. Don't miss it, okay? Verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest... I mean, the holy guy, right? I mean, this is a guy who ought to know better. A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he stopped and helped, right? What did he do? He passed by on the other side. I see, but I'm not going to stop. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite. The Levites were those who were in charge of taking care of the temple in Jerusalem. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, what happened? He saw him, and surely this guy who works at the church for the love, he's going to stop, right? No. He passed by on the other side. If we're going to be people for whom neighbor is a verb, a couple of things need to be true. It has to start with we stop and see. We see and we stop. Whichever order it has to uh, take for us, we've got to do both. We can't just see and then pass by the other side. Give a couple of bullets here to think about. Number one, don't be so busy that you miss the opportunity. Don't be so busy that you miss the opportunity. I don't know if you remember this from a couple of uh, 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 years ago, maybe three years ago now. There was this video that went viral. A lady's in the mall, and she's texting and walking, and she falls into a fountain as a result of this. Anybody remember this? The fountain was guarded. I mean, it wasn't like it was, you know, the flat floor. Like, she tripped over the seating area and into the fountain. Of course, everybody's like, I can't believe How many times do you and I sit in rooms, sit in waiting areas, sit in places while we're waiting to get our hair cut or whatever, and you look around the room and what's true? Don't be so busy that you miss the opportunity to stop and to see. Sometimes built into our rhythms are stop, but we look at something else instead of seeing what's going on around us. Sometimes we see but don't stop. Just confession here. If this doesn't apply to youth, just think to yourself, eh, I'm a better Christian than him. Um, There are times when I'm trying to get out the door with our kids or we collectively are trying to get out the door with our kids because we got to be somewhere in 20 minutes and it's only a five minute drive, but it takes 15 minutes to get the kids to the car. Who's with me on this? Okay. And so, so you, you kind of start that process and you start loading and inevitably it can be one of the kids or maybe if here I'm at church, somebody comes up and they, they need to ask a question or need something. And right. And, and you're like, "I, I get it. Like, and then you start the process of like, Hey, go get in the car, go get in the car. And eventually it turns into the thing where you don't act, you're like being a ventriloquist. You don't open your mouth. You're like, go get in the car. Anybody? Does that happen to anybody? Okay. You're better Christians than me. So, um, you start, and, and, and whether it's, it's a little one, hey, daddy, can you, blah, 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 or somebody else, hey, can I ask a quick question? Because blah, blah, blah. like, does it really, do you really think that if I'm two minutes late, it's going to matter that much? John Ortberg, in, in his, sometimes, sometimes we stop, but we don't see. Sometimes we see, but we got to get to the car, and we don't stop. John Ortberg, in his book, um, The Life You've Always Wanted, chapter 5, he says this. He's, he's getting ready to take a new position at this huge church in Chicago area. 
And he's just spiritually dry, and he calls a mentor friend of his. He goes, hey, listen, I'm kind of dry, but I've got this big assignment out ahead of me. It's going to make a big difference in the kingdom and all sorts of opportunities. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit, see if you could pour a little life, just water the, the soil, so to speak. And, just, and the guy goes, I'm just here. I'm ready to listen. He goes, I've got one thing for you. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg's on the phone, grabs his pen and paper, wrote it down, says, okay, I got that. What's next? Miss the point altogether. And the guy and his mentor says back to him, there is no next. Like, that's it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Well, no, 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 no. Give me some more. He said, no, no. You don't need any more. Because hurry and love are incompatible. Sometimes we stop, but we're so distracted that we don't see. Sometimes we see, but the pace that we think is so demanding doesn't allow us to stop and we miss the opportunities. But secondly, don't be so religious that you miss the person. For these two fellows, the, the priest and the Levite, what they chose to do, the reason they chose to go to the other side is um, th- this guy was, uh, what they did, what they, they didn't see a guy, they saw a problem. And I think that's our danger too, particularly for you process-oriented people, engineer types. Like, if I can't fix the problem right then, then I'll just move on. Like, oh, this is too big of a mess. I can't deal with this right now. Let's just, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be people um, is to see, to, who encounter situations like this and see a problem to be solved instead of a person to be loved. There's a huge difference there. Yes, there is a problem. But at the center of that is a person a person to be loved. And we don't want to be so religious that we miss the person. Um, in particular, I mean, there's brokenness all over the world, right? In this particular guy's, uh, in this particular story, this guy, he, he, it had happened to him. Sometimes brokenness happens to us and we can't do anything about it. Sometimes it's a result of our own choices and we could have done something about it. Either way, brokenness, everybody's walking around in it. Everybody's carrying stuff that they have to carry with it. Everybody experiences it regularly. Just don't be so religious that you miss the person. Because when we encounter brokenness, sometimes if we're too religious, uh, it goes something like this. Oh, I see that person over there, but I'm not going to stop because they're not my kind of sinner. They don't sin in the ways that I like. Can we just call a time out and say, aren't you glad Jesus didn't treat us like that? That Jesus didn't look down and say, eh, I'm not going to stop for them. They're not my kind of sinner. Nobody would qualify. Nobody would. Don't be so religious that you miss the person. Don't. Don't don't fall into the trap of seeing a problem to be solved instead of a person to be loved. We We have to stop and we have to see. We've got to do both of those things. Second requirement, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. So a Samaritan, these are, the, these are not uh, the Jewish people. They don't like them, okay? They're kind of, they see them as half-breeds, racial outcasts, people who are way different than them, and they just don't expect much from the Samaritans. In fact, they expect bad things from them. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the second requirement. Not only do we stop and see, but when we come to the point of response, when we stop and we see, we, we, see, we, we respond with compassion. 
Compassion, the, the Bible word, the Greek word, the Bible was, uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And um, the Bible word is splankna, not that, that you need to take note of that, but it's just a fun word to say. And basically what it means is from your guts, something trips, it, it flips over, it triggers inside of you. Like something so deep down inside of you kind of rumbles, and it flips over. And you're like, whoa, 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 this is not right. Something, something starts churning in here. So from something deep down inside, something way deep down inside, it gets stirred up inside of us. This is what compassion means. Jesus, um, it, the Bible uses this of Jesus all the time. He looks out on a crowd and he has compassion. In Luke in particular, a couple of different places, just to, right around this text where he uses it. Chapter 7, this, wit, this uh, uh, widow is coming along to bury her son. And some of you have had to do that before. And you know how terrible that is. Jesus stops and he interrupts the funeral procession. And he looks on this woman and he says, and he, the Bible says, he had compassion on her. The funeral procession was going by and something just flipped over in Jesus. And from him, his guts. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Hey, lady, I got you. Son, get up and take care of your mom. And the guy rises from the dead. There's a resurrection right there. Jesus does this. And later in the, in the book, in, in Luke chapter 15, um, uh, Jesus is telling a story. Uh, the, it's often called the prodigal son, a son who goes away and squanders his dad's wealth on all sorts of stupid stuff, right? Just makes an absolute wreck out of his life. And he comes teetering home, half drunk, smelling like pigs. And, he, and the dad sees him a long way off. And this is what it says. And when he saw him, when the father saw the son shuffling back his way, the father had compassion on him. Something flipped over inside. Oh, my boy. And it says he hiked up his robe and went sprinting down the road to tackle the kid in an embrace of welcome and love. This is what it means. So a couple of pushbacks here. There's some kind of contentions that go along with this. And one of them sounds like this. Well, yeah, I mean, I get it that I'm supposed to have compassion on the person, but I just don't love that person. Again, they're not my kind of sinner, or they don't look like me, they don't sound like me, they don't smell like me, they don't work with me, they don't do any, whatever whatever way that we can figure out how to exclude them in some way, this is what we, I just don't love that person, whoever they are, whatever label, whatever um, situation, I just don't love that person. Anybody? Um, I, I figured since our British friends would hear, I would quote somebody from Great Britain, C.S. Lewis is very helpful. He says this, don't, this is it from mere Christianity, don't waste time bothering whether you, quote, love your neighbor, act as if you did. And as, as soon as we do this, we find that one, this is one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Well, I just don't, I just don't really have compassion. I just don't really love it. Just start acting like you do. You'll find that you actually do when it's all said and done. The second contention goes something like this. Yeah, well, I tried that before, and really, I got burned. Like, I stepped out, and I tried to do something nice for somebody, and it kind of blew up in my face, and, you know, I'm still carrying around the scars from that. Like, I, I just don't think, like, the, the, the second contention, I ch- gave that a run, thank you, but, but I, I got burned. Many of you have had that story. Some of you are just now coming back to church precisely because of something like that. 
Again, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, says this, to, to love it all, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. <laughs> so if you want to be sure of keeping it intact, here's what you do. Uh, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. So all you dog lovers in here, get, you got, dogs got to go, okay? Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. So those are your options. I mean, you, some of you have stepped out and said, hey, look, I've done this, and it just blew up in my face. Your, your other option is to lock your heart up and watch it calcify. Watch it concretize. Watch it become so hard. And that is the opposite of the transformation that Jesus wants to bring. Compassion. Well, I don't know if I really have that. Start acting like you do. You'll be surprised. Well, I got burned. Well, Keep giving yourself. Jesus has an overflowing and unending abundance of compassion for you. And that way you can then draw from that well to give it to others. Last requirement is sacrifice. We start with stopping and seeing. And we have to let that turn something inside of us that's compassion. And then we begin to practically respond with sacrifice. Verse 34. So this Samaritan went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, this is old school medicine. So some of you nurses in here kind of get this right here. Some of the rest of us, though, you ever gotten close enough to a situation where you think to yourself, huh, this is going to get really messy really fast. Anybody bound up wounds and poured on oil and wine this week? You got somebody who's sitting in your living room or across the table from you or in your office and their world is a wreck, shattered into pieces. You're like, I got some duct tape around here. I'll do the best I can. Trying to just help them hold it together. It starts with this kind of personal involvement because anytime you step into a situation like that and it's oil and wine and bandaging wounds, yes, it's going to be messy. That is absolutely true. There's nothing pretty about picking up a guy who looks like a corpse on the side of the road, roadkill, so to speak, who's fallen up to these robbers and left for dead and start putting his life, helping him put his life back together. It is personally involved. It is very messy. Secondly, and if, but just that involves some sacrifice. Secondly, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, the middle of verse 34. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So not only personal involvement, but also personal investment, right? The guy, the Samaritan picks him up and sets him on the donkey as he goes off and, he, and he's moving on to the next town. Question, if, if the guy who got beaten up is on the donkey, where's the Samaritan? He's walking. He had a perfectly good donkey just a few minutes ago. But now he's invested. And so he's walking. This is what it takes for some of us to step out, to walk, to, to make this kind of, I'd say, okay, man, yeah, you're in here, and that means I'm going to do this, but this is worth doing. Personal involvement, personal investment. Look at verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So two days' wages. 
and gave them to the innkeeper. So these resources are on the table now. Now he not only has skin in the game, he's got money in the game, right? Personal resources. He's put his money on the table. Can we be honest? Sometimes it's easier for us to put money on the table than it is to be involved or invested. For some of us, because of maybe our monetary situation, our financial situation, or because we love our money so much, it's easier to get involved than it is to write a check. However, it takes both. It's what this guy is saying and what he's modeling for us. Personal resources are involved. This is something that we're going to have to sacrifice if neighbor is going to be a verb. And lastly, at the middle of verse 35, he gave him to the innkeeper saying this, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay. Don't miss this phrase, when I come back. What was this guy going to do? He was going to come back. He was never just going to drop it off and, you know, okay, hey, here's a guy. Make sure he's cared for. Here's, a, you know, here's some money. Make sure that happens. Just make sure he gets taken. He was going to come back. So there's this resolve to see this thing through. It wasn't enough just to get the issues addressed. He was, going, he was resolved to see it through to the end. Hey, I wanna, I'm just gonna, not going to let this go. We've got to make this thing. Uh, We've got to see it through. We've got to actually make it happen. There's resolve. There's investment. There's involvement for sure. There's resources on the table. But there's this commitment that says, hey, I'm going to see this thing through. This is what sacrifice requires of us. If neighbor is going to be a verb, if we're going to make a difference, this is what it requires of us. So how then do we go live in light of this? In light of the requirement of stopping and seeing and having compassion and and, um, uh, giving sacrifice, offering sacrifice, in light of all of that, how do we go live? Let me just ask some questions here. You ready? Um, Just as a prelude, do you think God put you in the place where you live on purpose? I'm sorry, I'll try that again. How do we go live in light of this? Let me ask some questions. Just as a prelude, do you think God put you in the place where you live on purpose? Oh, good. Thank you. Glad you're here. I had a moment there. I was wondering. I think he did too. How about the people around you? Do you think God put them there on purpose too? Here's a question then. How many neighbors, your physical neighbors, how many neighbors can you name? Some of you, maybe a lot. Some of you, not very many. Some of you struggle. Some of you are frustrated with them because they drive in and shut the garage door. You're like, hey, hey! It happens. How many neighbors can you name? Well, I can't name any. What if you threw a party? What if you, once the weather, if it ever gets better, uh, like what, 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 what if you roasted marshmallows? And, I mean, I don't know what you would do, but what if you did something? How many neighbors can you name? Second question. What in your normal path needs attention, or to say it a second way, who in your normal path needs compassion? Who needs compassion from you in your normal path? So let's start with the what. You ever, I mean, you drive the same ways all the time, right? You go the same routes all the time to work and to store, wherever else. Like you drive by and, and you see that there's this one house that always has grass that's way too high, right? Do you think they may need attention? It may be the most offensive thing, but if you rolled up with a mower, would that be the worst thing ever? Hey, my church is talking about neighbors a verb, and so I'm just here to neighbor a little bit. Or even better, I got a 13-year-old. He's going to neighbor you for a little bit. <laughs> what, what in your normal path needs attention? 
Or who in your normal path needs compassion? The barista at Starbucks, the one you always see, who uh, even work since 4.30 in that morning. She just carries around with her, not, not a tiredness, but a sadness. Or this person in your office who, this, that person uh, that you are on the sports team with or your kids play together, that, whatever it may be, who in your normal path needs compassion? And it can be super simple. Hey, listen, I just, everything all right with you? Like, I've been praying for you, and so our church has been talking about neighbors and verb. I just want to, do you need any neighbor? And like, could I step into your world in some way and help to bring some compassion, to bring some action? Is there anything, who in your normal path needs compassion? Lastly, where, where does your world need your sacrificial love? Where does, where does my world need my sacrificial love? Jesus has given sacrificial love to me. He has given, if you're a follower of his in here, you're, you call yourself a Christian, he has given sacrificial love to you, not so that you can hold on to it or hoard it, but so that you can pour it out on others, right? That's the entire thing. Love God, yes and amen, and love your neighbor. Those are both true. That's why Jesus, at the end of the story, he says, which one of these do you think had mercy to the man who fell among robbers? It's like the one who, who uh, you know, actually did something about it. He goes, that's right, you go and do likewise. So here's the question. If Jesus were to say to you, you, you go and do likewise. You go and sh- show and share the good news of Jesus. Where does your world need your sacrificial love? I just, can I give you some examples just from my week? I'm just talking about my week. Um, I, I spoke with someone um, who uh, their, their countenance was down and they were struggling with kind of an anxiety and, and, and depression. So I got the opportunity to pray, to encourage, call to check on them the next day, all of these kinds of things. How many, of peop- how many people in your world need a little bit of sacrificial love poured out on them to say, oh my goodness, there is somebody who actually cares about me? I um, just last night spoke with somebody whose parents stepped off this earth and into eternity. Sent them a message saying, man, you've walked this road so faithfully, cared for your folks. I'm so proud of you. And now they're with Jesus and you can be at peace. They're at peace. Amen and amen. He said, man, thanks for praying because people who pray really have made a difference for us as a family. I mean, that's not, that's not two days' wages right there. That's offering a prayer for them, and it makes a difference. I sat with somebody, somebody else this week who said, man, I just need a mentor. I need somebody who's a little bit further down the road who can look back at me and say, you're doing okay. Hey, try this. It might be a better path. Hey, have you ever thought about this? This could be a little bit better wisdom for you. Or, man, I don't know what's going on, but I'll walk with you for a little bit. I just need somebody who's a little bit further down. Folks, there are folks in this room who have enough miles on your tires that you can look back a little bit and say, I see that younger person and I see how they're dealing with and I see what they're struggling with and I see what their uh, their troubles are. I see how hard it is them raising their kids, working on their own, whatever it may be. Hey, I'm just going to step into the world. My little sacrificial world is to say, hey, you want a cup of coffee? How, how, about, how about I buy you lunch? And just check and see, man, what's going on in your life and how can I be a neighbor to you? Neighbor is a verb. It is we choose to be neighbors. And on and on and on we can go. That's just the past couple of days for me.
Who in your world needs your sacrificial love? Who is it? You want to know who your neighbor is? It's whomever you choose to make a neighbor. And there's a lot of folks who need us. And listen, where else are they going to get it? I mean, where's, where's their hope going to come from? Jesus has left us here, we, the church, here to be neighbors and to love our neighbors. Let's pray, and then we'll have a moment to respond, okay? Um, Lord, I, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the ways that folks in this room and folks who are in the 830 service have reached out, have I'm encouraged, have tried to touch people around them have stopped and seen, have had compassion on people, have sacrificed in order to uh, uh, see the kingdom come in people's lives. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen that work, that you would encourage them in that work. Thank you for how that they've worked so far. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them uh, in it. Uh, God, I pray for everybody, everybody in here, whether this has been kind of part of our normal rhythm or not, but everybody in here, you would take and you would um, let this word settle down on them and give them a single practical step for this week. Something that they can go do. Something that they can go live such that neighbor is a verb to them. 